0: All right, welcome to the General Order 1 podcast. I'm your host Scott and I'm joined by my longtime friend Ben. Hello. On this podcast we're discussing Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Uh specifically today we are discussing season 1 episode 2 which is titled Children of the Comet.
1: And so, uh, fittingly enough this is episode season 1 episode 2 of of our Goop podcast. That's true. And uh, Uh, welcome to all of Gwyneth Paltrow's very confused followers.
0: There's a lot of people out there right now searching for Goop Podcasts, expecting Gwyneth Paltrow, and they got stuck with us. They're very disappointed. Yep. Well, let's kick it off. So the episode opens with Uhura doing a quick voiceover, and she just mentions that the USS Enterprise is studying an old comet uh, around a planet named Persephone 3 and uh so right off the bat pretty probably a pretty standard starfleet mission they're just you know out surveying just seeing what's going on um so about after the the voiceover closed you see Uhura meet up with Ortega um in the hallways uh it's not clear where but somewhere on the enterprise and Uhura is wearing her dress uniform she looks pretty fancy and uh Ortega is definitely dressed more casually. And she it mentioned... It does look
1: fairly fancy, but, you know, as always, the Starfleet dress uniform just doesn't look that dressy.
0: No, I, I made that exact same note, too. I'm like, this. yeah, the dress uniform is basically like the standard uniform with, like, some cleaner corners and, and maybe some brighter colors. But it's like, got,
1: like, a fancy Starfleet insignia on it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's really not that different. I mean, if you, you know, if you look at an, an Earth military, like, their regular uniform which is usually just fatigues versus their dress uniform is just dramatically different. And they look very, very fancy in the dress uniform. Starfleet, not, not down for that. Apparently fashion is, you know, we're not, we're not trying to impress anybody in the 24th century, I guess.
0: I'm glad you said that. Cause I made that exact same note that, I mean, they do have dress uniforms. They don't wear them very often, but yeah, it really doesn't look that different than their day to day. Like
1: it's not the, the tunic from next generation. Right. This one looks a little better. So it apparently things are getting much much worse as as the years go <laughs> by.
0: Did you notice that Ortega actually is showing off her midriff? You can see her belly button.
1: I know. It was it, it was quite risqué for It was almost scandalous. But but on top know? of
0: that, yeah, like it was she's very casual and here is her all dressed up. So yeah. so Ortega and her have a conversation and they basically determine that that she's hazing the new girl, right? And this is kind of one of the things that they yeah. do. But she does and, mention that they are on the way to Pike's cabin where he is having a, a big dinner party.
1: Yep. And, uh, you know, call back to the last episode, I, I commented that, you know, I hoped we'd see more of Uhura. And, you know, also just in general, the the first episode, it's, it's Pike and Spock wall to wall. Like yep. the other characters are kind of there, but I mean, they get a little bit of a name drop. We hear Ortega's name. We hear Uhura's name that's about it from them in that entire episode. So it was nice that this one starts with those two characters. We get a little bit of a, a real introduction to them.
0: This is, yeah, clearly a very Uhura centered episode and I think it's done really well. So I did know, I did make a note that, that they mentioned that she's on the way to Pike's cabin. I've always heard them called quarters, but in this particular, they're, she, they're on their way to Pike's cabin. I mean, clearly it's a cabin on the enterprise, not like his cabin in Montana. I just thought it was kind of. Yeah. Weird.
1: And we'll have to see if that, you know, if that's just their nomenclature for, yeah. you know, where a member of the crew sleeps or if Pike's cabin is special because it's the captain's. Yeah. Could be. And, and it's the size of a cabin.
0: It is. Yeah. Right. I don't remember in any of the other shark sort of them being called cabins, but maybe, I mean, it's not important. It was
1: always quarters before. So. Okay.
0: All right. So it cuts to, uh, they, they get to Pike's quarters, you know, they ring the doorbell or whatever, and Pike answers, and he's making ribs. He says, come on in. And he makes note of Uhura's dress uniform. And he says, oh, they got you essentially. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, they tricked you into wearing your dress uniform, but he is dressed, you know, casually, I would say, and he's in a very good mood. He's like, I got to run. I got to get back to the ribs. He's got a big dinner party going. There's probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 people in his cabin. there. Yeah, clearly just having a party.
1: And, and I'll, I'll get past this, you know, after, but Again, this this room is massive. His, yeah. his quarters yeah. are huge. Uh, you know, you drop this in Manhattan, and this is a huge apartment.
0: And it's fancy, too. It's not just right. big. Like, it's got a lot of amenities that I don't recall seeing in so, other Star
1: Trek ships. Yeah, it's either it's good to be the captain or a significant portion of the, the interior of the Enterprise is devoted to just crew quarters. Because if this is, you know... I, I mean, in, uh, like, Next Generation... You know, Picard's quarters were, were bigger, were noticeably a little bit larger, but not a ton. They were, oh, right. you know, maybe half again as big as everybody else's. But, I
0: mean, there are, they're, they have limited square footage. as a starship, right? I mean, I it, it's right. I equate it to like a um, like an ocean liner, right? I mean, those the quarters on it. You know, if you go on a cruise, they're small on purpose because you want to have room for amenities, not quarters. But anyway. Right. So uh, Uhura and uh, he's trying to fit in here. Everybody is already at the party and they're all relaxed and having a good time. And we get our first um, appearance of uh, Officer Hemmer, who is uh, he's a blue skinned alien creature that we have not seen before. I thought it was something that we had seen before, but I had to look it up. He is an Aenar, A-E-N-A-R. So he's got like two kind of like blue alien like antennas and a blue face.
1: Yeah, I thought it was an Andorian at first, but yeah, they, they do I look thought, a little yeah. bit different.
0: I had to look it up, but yeah, he is different. So the one thing that, and this comes into play clearly a lot in the rest of the season, so uh, Hemmer is blind, and he, and so Uhura makes mention that he is disabled, and he t- kind of takes offense at that. He is not happy about being called um, disabled. In fact, he makes mention that his senses, other than his sight, are actually superior to um, most humans and and i think even the vulcan so so hemmers he's cocky he's got a little swagger to him um so he lets he lets uhura know that you know he's not a disabled guy who needs you to you know help him out oh it's worth noting that he's actually cutting carrots with a knife which is why uhura volunteers to help because this blind guy's got a knife right
1: yeah and she makes note that you know, in her culture, it would be, you know, it would be polite to to help someone. And he, yeah, clearly isn't having it. And we get a little, like, over-the-back catch of, you know, yeah. kid, like, tosses to him. But uh just to really hammer home that this guy's got, you know, he's he's Daredevil, basically.
0: Yes. So, uh Hemmer basically, is it Hammer Spock? One of them mentions that, or maybe to her, it mentions that some people say that the Anar have a form of precognition and that they can read people's minds or see the future and there's a little bit and that's where the the toss comes in and he, he was like oh i saw that coming kind of thing so right right there's there's no real definition you know or you don't clearly see any of that here but i think it's setting the scene for later so it just might be something worth noting that um yeah and I, I couldn't
1: tell if we're supposed to take that at face value or if we're supposed to not be sure if that's actually true
0: I wasn't sure either. I will tell you that Hammer plays a huge part in the rest of the season, so you will see a lot more of him and his character will definitely get fleshed out.
1: Well, that's good, because so far it was just, hey, he, hey, here he is. Um, yeah. It was a bit like the introduction of the chief engineer in Next Generation, where you know we, we, we see this guy, he, he has a line or two, and then he's never seen again.
0: <laughs> right. Oh, it is worth noting, I don't think I said that, that, that Hammer is the chief engineer of the Enterprise. Yes so um uh, Hemmer is played by an actor named Bruce Horak, who is actually blind in real life oh really that 's cool, yeah, so there was kind of uh that was kind of uh, a talking point online like hey, they got this actor who's really blind playing a blind character in the show, and i 'm curious because i 've seen a lot of the rest of it, but i 'm curious what you think as we go on, how well hemmer. Handles himself on the Enterprise being blind, not only as a chief engineer, but just in general how well he does things. It's worth seeing. I, I think that they're playing up the fact that he is very much not disabled because he's a he's a chief engineer, so that takes work, right? But he's also very functional just in in day to day life.
1: Yeah, and so far seems seems quite capable. Although, Clearly, if he's cutting all, carrots, all we've seen him do is cutting carrots. We haven't seen him fix anything on the Enterprise yet, so we'll see.
0: So uh, cuts back to Pike at this dinner party. They are now I assume this is after they've eaten or Pike is telling a story. He's telling a joke about he's chasing some alien and the aliens pants fall off. I don't remember, but Pike has everyone in stitches. And actually the story that he tells, I I wrote down that he's extremely charismatic in this scene. I don't know what it was, but like, I just want to hang out with this guy. Like he just looks like he would be super fun to, to chill with.
1: Yeah, the, the only thing I noted was uh, Uhura is laughing at everything he says, like, kind of over the top, and I, I thought we were going to get a, like, oh, she's, you know, she's kissing up to the captain moment for a minute, to the, yeah, that, I mean, it was yeah. to that point, like, every time he says something, she's just laughing hysterically at it, I thought, <laughs> okay, is she going to get called out for kissing up to the captain, but apparently not, it was, it was meant to be, that it was genuine, and
0: yeah, that does not happen, because the very next thing... Well, uh, Uhura, or, or Pike actually asks Uhura, he says, oh, I hear you speak 12 languages, and she corrects him and says, I speak 37 languages. She mentions that she is from Kenya, so they they actually give a little bit more of her backstory, so she, um, they're fleshing out her character some more. So, um, you... Pike kind of, you come to learn later that Pike has this routine where he asks the new recruits on his ship this one standard question. And one of the things that, or the the primary question is, where do you see yourself in 10? And he kind of pauses and then finishes and says 10 years. So Pike catches himself when he starts asking her where she sees herself in 10 years. The implication being that, that he is now aware of his own mortality, and in 10 years, he will be dead.
1: Yeah, he clearly, like, it's you know this is a reflex to him he's asked this yeah. he's clearly asked this question of a million people by now and so he's just going off a script and then his brain trips on that 10 year part yeah. pretty hard
0: yeah
1: um he gets he like number 1 gives him a very knowing look she she clearly gets the implication of what just happened but everyone else in the room is oblivious to it and just runs along with his his question so
0: right so uh you know by the way is- i
1: did expect him to follow up with asking her what her greatest weakness was
0: <laughs> right so like it's a like the most typical job interview questions ever right right um so uh he catches himself because he's 10 years he's going to be dead and and he she says she responds she's i don't know what i'm going to do in 10 years she says i'm really not sold on starfleet yet she's not you know she's not drinking the starfleet kool-aid yet
1: yeah and pretty bold of her to right you know come right out with yeah i don't really even know if i want to be here
0: well, number yeah, right in front of her. Not only right in front of her boss, but in front of all of her coworkers. Like all these people that you're going to be relying on, and you're basically like, yeah, I don't know if this is really my thing.
1: Yeah, that's the kind of thing you know, kind of thing you might want to bring up before we're out on our five-year yeah. mission. But
0: so uh, Pike actually calls her on it, and he says, "Oh, that's not an answer that I think I've ever gotten before." And he says, you know, it takes we don't get a lot of recruits from Starfleet. He says, you beat out. Didn't you beat out about a thousand candidates to get positioned here on the Enterprise? And Spock actually corrects Pike and says several thousand. So we're learning a little bit more about Uhura that she's got some chops, at least according to Starfleet, that she beat out 2000 people, even if she's not really sold on being there yet. Which which is probably a callback to the first episode where he calls her. I think he calls her the prodigy.
1: Yeah. So the implication being that the enterprise is not a posting you get right out of Starfleet Academy.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, sure.
1: Like you you have to, you know, you got to work your way up through some other ships before you get onto the enterprise since it's the flagship, it's the big, you know, premier destination. So that makes sense. I mean, sure. officers with experience are going to want to come here, so, you know, someone coming as a cadet, you know, would be pretty unusual, uh, which makes sense again as opposed to the JJ Abrams universe where you can graduate and become captain of the Enterprise right out of the gate. So,
0: So, uh, you know, Pike's a little incredulous that she's not sold on Starfleet. And so Uhura gives a little bit more of her personal backstory. And she mentions that she studied linguistics at, uh, or no, she was going to study linguistics at the University of Nairobi. But um, she was essentially distracted because her parents and her brother were killed in a shuttle accident right before she was going to go to college. And that was obviously a pretty traumatic moment in her life. So she backed off of school with or of formal schooling for a while while she dealt with that. She yeah, specifically,
1: she says she didn't want to be on the campus without them there because it would just, you know, it'd be really weird to not see them there since yeah, she grew she up with were, them on campus. They were teachers
0: at that school? Isn't that what yeah, she said? yeah, right. yeah. So rather than going to school, she went to live with her grandparents and uh, was just trying to, you know, find herself, figure out what she wanted to do. Apparently her grandmother was, she said, I think she's a big into Starfleet. I don't know if that meant she was in Starfleet or she was just a big proponent of Starfleet, but her grandma used to talk Starfleet up. So
1: I think she specifically says that her grandma was a Starfleet officer.
0: That would certainly make sense. So yeah. She's, uh basically, you know, says my grandma was big on it. I guess I didn't really have a whole lot. You know, I didn't want to go to college. So she, I guess she begrudgingly joins Starfleet, becomes this prodigy, gets posted to the flagship. So, you know, I, I guess it worked out one way or the other, but she's still not sold. She's not sure she's going to be, you know, she's going to stay in Starfleet. She's, she definitely, she has a, te- as of right now, she has a temporary um, position on the Enterprise. It is not a, I don't believe she's a commissioned officer yet.
1: Yeah, that was the impression I got was that she's still in kind of her onboarding phase where Yeah,
0: she's on probation kind of. Yeah. So there's there's one quick and that's the end of that scene. So it's really just some backstory about Uhura, her skills, um, you know, and and what her story is, which certainly comes up later in the episode, so this is clearly just setting up her character. But there's a quick s a super quick scene after this where Spock and Uhura are walking in the hallway and He's trying to figure out, you know, more about her. He's like, you know, he's he's also Spock is also confused that she's on the Enterprise. And and Spock's line was, if it's not your path, you might consider making the way for someone else who wants to walk it. So he's basically saying, you know, hey, I mean, I, I get that you're here and you're smart. But if your heart's not in it, then, you know, maybe give up your spot for somebody who is.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's equal parts. Hey, you know, you should do what what speaks to you. You should you know, live the life that you want to live. So he's encouraging her to, you know, do, do what feels right to you. But I think it's also equal parts admonishment where he's saying, you know, and also there's a lot of people who want to be here. So if you don't, you know, don't stand in the way of someone else's dreams if you're not following
0: your own. There were thousands of other people that she beat out, you know, right. Yeah. Um,
1: Speaking of Spock, we uh, also we should mention that uh, during that that dinner party, um, uh, part of the story that that Pike told about running away from the Nausicaan and, you know, tripping on his pants, uh, you know, they were laughing and uh, Spock makes a comment about how how strange it is that humans laugh at others' misfortune. And uh, Pike says something along the lines of, well, you know, when things are so bad, you know, sometimes the only thing to do is laugh.
0: Yes, absolutely. Which will will come back later. Definitely, yeah, just playing to Spock's not understanding human emotions. And definitely, yeah, circles back later. So uh, the the next scene is a quick scene of and number one, in his cabin doing the dishes. And they're kind of having a debate, and she's asking pike like because he's hung up on this i'm gonna die in 10 years and she's trying to convince him that that maybe that's not set in stone that maybe maybe it's not your fate that you get burned um and that all this happens to you maybe you can choose your own path is what she said to him you know maybe you don't have to do what what you what you've seen so there we're, we're setting up the stage for perhaps there's an alternative to what to pike's future And Pike's response is, um, and he lists the names of five kids. And he basically says that, you know, sometime in the future, I have to save these kids lives. So he basically says, hey, I can't, you know, I know the future. I can can see it, but I can't change it because if I do, then these five kids will die. So what we're seeing here is that not only does he see himself burned in the future, it's not like he knows when he dies. He actually sees some other events along the way. So it's not yeah, just
1: he knows how it's going to happen. And clearly he knows that it's going to happen in the process of saving these five kids. So, yeah. um, uh, and, you know, we get, we get a little scene with number one here. I, I'm, you know, this is another character I'm hoping gets some, some fleshing out because so far she just seems to kind of be there to, you know, steer Pike in the right direction as far as this whole, you know, tragedy coming in his life. But, She's really not doing much on the ship so far. Oh, Um, she's not, right. You know, she's the executive officer. Yeah, and I imagine that there's, you know, a bit of shorthand happening here because she was a character with Pike on Discovery. Yeah. So presumably most of the audience already is well aware of her and doesn't, doesn't need another introduction. So, you know, they're focusing in other areas. But for someone like me who hasn't seen Discovery, it'd be nice to get a little more with her since... I mean, at the moment, she's just kind of window dressing. She hasn't had hardly anything to do.
0: Do you get the impression they're in a
1: relationship? I don't get that impression. I mean, they just seem like they're very close, like yeah. they're they best friends. Almost, basically, is what it seems like. Yeah. I'm just thinking
0: um, if they were in a relationship, like it would be like wildly inappropriate that the top two members on this ship are basically. Yeah,
1: I don't think Starfleet right. would be cool with that. And it doesn't. I don't get that vibe. I don't get any romantic vibe from the two of them, but. Um, I mean, just the biggest thing I want to know is what's the, you know, her name is number one. She has a name.
0: Her name is Una, but they almost never use it. Oh, really? Okay. I mean, that's what,
1: that's what the character is listed as. When you look at the the cast list, the character is listed as number one. So
0: maybe I'm wrong. At one point, the, 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 um, closed captioning said Una colon, and then it was something that number one was saying, but yes, you're right. It is very, right. It's very, um clinical, I guess. The yeah, yeah. I,
1: and I know, I mean, that's, you know, that's a callback to the original uh, pilot where the first officer was always referred to as number one. Yeah, uh, But uh, yeah, it's a little strange to be doing that for multiple episodes now, so. Uh, I mean, it's one thing to have a nickname, but it's that's yeah. it's something else, and that's the only thing anybody calls you.
0: So the next scene uh, we see is the... They're back on the bridge, and, and Spock is explaining the comet that, they, that Uhura mentions in the voiceover at the very beginning of the episode. They have found this comet that is on a collision course with Persephone 3, and it will clash into the planet and basically kill everyone on the surface. They have looked at the surface of this planet, and there is a primitive pre-warp species on the surface named the Deleb. They are um, pretty primitive, and they are not going to see this coming. So they're just going to get wiped out. So the bridge crew come up with a plan that they're basically going to use some torpedoes to push this comet off course from this planet so that it won't um, you know, kill everybody. So they fire a couple torpedoes. They fire four torpedoes at the comet. But the comet, all of a sudden, as soon as just about as the torpedoes are about to hit you see the shields go up around this comet. Everybody kind of looks at each other like, what the heck, why does a comet have a force field? And then star wipe into the litany and in the intro. Uh,
1: so speaking of, you know, they're going to knock this comet off course, I, I believe they they make some kind of reference to, I don't know if it's at this point in the show or if it's later, but there's a reference made to, it's okay that we're interfering with this culture because... Uh, you know we're interfering in a way that they're never going to be aware of. So we're we're you know we're changing their destiny. We're going to knock this comet off course so they don't get wiped out and 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 uh, go extinct. But they're never going to even know we were here. So it's not going to affect their development.
0: Basically, we we violated uh, General Order One last episode. We don't want to do it again this one. Exactly. Like we can't have
1: every episode yeah. be you know so um, yeah right.
0: Yep. Yeah. So, uh,
1: yeah, they basically note that there's a, you know, there's an exception to General Order 1, which is, you know, if there's going to be some kind of extinction event and they can stop it without tipping their hand, that they're allowed to do that. Which so, makes sense. I mean, Just right. it seems like the neighborly thing to do if you're, you're going by and you yeah. see that a comet's going to hit somebody's planet. It seems like the nice thing to do.
0: So uh, then we see, we cut to the mission planning room. Um, they mentioned that they've scanned the comet and that they don't find any life on the comet. So they're a little confused why there are shields on this comet. They they find a structure of some sort on the comet. So that suggests some sort of alien intelligence has built this structure, but there are no life forms on it. So they want to go down and investigate what's going on with this um, comet. And uh, they... they spock mentions that the shields aren't constant they're not up all the time so they can beam down during one of the holds holes in the shields um so this is going to be uhura's first away mission and i only say that because they mention it in the episode about four or five times like several characters say it like she's like they hammer home like this is her first mission and she's a little green
1: Yeah, and a couple things I noted during this scene, uh, one of which is that uh, it was bothering me for a minute what, like, Spock looked weird. Spock's sideburns are significantly longer now. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I I went back and watched some footage from the first episode. He's got, like, ridiculously long sideburns in episode two, uh, to the point where it was almost distracting.
0: i didn't even like, notice all right
1: yeah like they're all the way down i mean he's almost got like mutt i mean they're really thin so it's not like a mutton chop or anything but it's all it means all the way down his jaw almost like uh and uh the other thing that i noted was just another you know if uh if you start looking for like the loopholes and and plot holes in in the story you're you're gonna kill yourself with star trek because there's always a ton of them right. but um you know, if the shields aren't up all the time and they can beam down, uh it's unclear why they can't just shoot some torpedoes at it when the shields are down.
0: I thought I thought they mentioned something about that, that the shields only responded to threats. Was that was that's that that was the reasoning for that hole is what I thought. Was okay, maybe maybe I
1: missed that. Somehow but my, my understanding was that there's just a cycle where the shields go down yeah. at times, which which seemed strange. It's, like right. what's the point of having a shield that If it just Just goes down once in a while, like it just seemed strange, but because it's clearly not just threats because later on, they can't beam them back because the shields are back up. So it's, it's weird. Uh, The shields basically operate as the plot requires. Yeah. We just have to go with that.
0: So we actually see, so they've, they're going to beam down to the surface of this comet. They, what they want to do is they want to investigate whatever this cave or structure that they've, found from above and they're gonna see if they can find a way on the comet to either shut down the shields or find another way to push this comet out of the way of this planet.
1: And what's our timeline at this point? I mean it's it's like hours before this thing's gonna hit the planet at this point, right? Yeah they are yeah right.
0: They are on yeah. It's they're on the clock. Right. So um, I did make note that the, they wear these space suits that have these cool looking helmets, and I just wrote that the suits were really badass looking as far as an away mission goes, you know, and having cool looking gear. The the costumers on this this episode really knocked it out of park on their suits. I thought they looked really cool.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so, something that that uh, is is fairly new to Star Trek. Like if you. If you go back and and look at uh, you know the, the original series, Next Generation, I, I mean, I think even into DS9 and and Voyager, they're never in land environment suit. Right, this was not a thing that they ever do, um, and I'm guessing it's just because the costume budget. You know, they didn't oh, have room in the have budget for those great. costumes, would be my guess. But they
0: did a little bit of it in Discovery. They started doing, help yeah,
1: and that. and in Enterprise, they had, oh, did they? okay, yeah, they had uh, environment suits in Enterprise pretty regularly. But that was the first show I remember ever. You know, it's kind of weird. You know, you don't think about it when they're not there, but then suddenly, when I was watching Enterprise and they've got spacesuits on all the time, you're like, huh? They never did that. Like, yeah. anyway just an interesting note that like apparently uh spacesuits will will go out of style in (laughs) in the next few decades
0: so the away team has beamed down they're on the surface of this comet now they find the structure they enter the structure they're so they're sort of in this underground cave area and they find this this golden egg that has some sort of writing on it and i use the word i put writing in quote in quote fingers um because there's some sort of markings on this, but they don't exactly know what it is, so for whatever reason um Sam Kirk goes over and touches it and gets shocked and knocked way back to the point that he is unconscious,
1: yeah, I mean, and he gets like i mean it's bad, he gets like thrown ten feet away from his sucker.
0: And yeah, it's so bad that they have to uh, defibrillate him. Actually, his heart stops, and so yeah, it cuts, um, Spock whips out his what medical tricorder and has a defibrillate option.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think we're we're supposed to, you know, we're supposed to feel like Sam was being pretty reckless here, like. He just sure. runs up to this thing and starts messing with it and Spock's like,
0: hey, maybe don't
1: do that. And he keeps yeah. doing it. And then Spock yells at him like, hey, look out. And then the thing shocks him and sends him flying. So. Well,
0: isn't, I mean, I think Kirk's or Sam Kirk's position on the Enterprise. I mean, he's a science officer, number one, but I want to say he was also an alien biologist. So if anybody should know better. Yeah, so it should be him, right? You don't just walk up and start poking crap. You don't know what it is, right? Yeah.
1: But, you know, Starfleet never has, like, great safety protocols on anything like that. They just, I,
0: I did they just no- check stuff out. So I did note that at one point, um, like, when he walks up to the Golden Egg, he says, Yahtzee! Like, he's excited to see it, you know, sort of yeah, like yeah. Eureka or whatever. And, and Spot questions me. He's like, what? And he says, Yahtzee, it's an old Earth game so yahtzee is now the the dice game is now canonical to the star trek universe and and spock notes that he he's aware
1: of that he's heard of yahtzee so apparently in his studies of of earth culture right. he's come across
0: it so um at this point the uh kirk is hurt and they try and beam him out because they need to get him to sickbay immediately but the force fields are back up and this is what you were talking about earlier and i took this as like hey the comet realizes that you know, maybe something's going on and it's trying to defend itself, so it throws back up the shields. But like you said, it could just be you know to advance the plot too. But the, the point is, is that they're in essence stuck on this comet, and Kirk is stable, but he's in in a bad place.
1: Now and and if I remember right, they've lost communication as well, correct? Yes, right. Yeah, so they don't know that anyone's injured. They just know that they've lost contact with their away team, and they can't can't raise them on the communicator and they can't beam them back.
0: So the enterprise realizes that it's lost communication. So we cut back to the bridge and they um, come up with kind of this weird plan that they're going to disrupt the shields, you know, with some sort of harmonic frequency or something, just enough that they can get the shields down and they can beam their team out. But right before, like literally seconds before they're about to hit this button and attempt to attack or disrupt the shields on this comet, a big gigantic ship shows up and just attacks the enterprise and basically you know, i think knocks the shields down to 40% or something like that. It it does
1: pretty nominal damage. The first, I mean it 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 shakes them up but uh it's pretty clear that this was a warning shot. They they make, you know, pike asks for a damage report and is told, you know, the damage was minimal. They, okay. you know, the shields took most of it. So uh as we, you know, see later that they they can really pound the enterprise. So it seems like this first shot was not meant to to harm anybody.
0: So they get a they get a incoming communication from this ship, and you see on the view screen uh, a CG alien we've never seen before. He introduces himself as the the Shepherds, and he mentions that their job is to escort Mahanit and protect it. And Kirk says, Mahanit, is that the comet? And he says, it's not a comet, it's more than that. He says, Mahanit is far more than a comet. Mahanit is one of the ancient arbiters of life. And that this, these shepherds have basically um, agreed long, long time ago that their job is to keep these, because uh, you, you assume that there's more than one of these comets, and that their job is to um, protect these comets. So that's, they're doing their job. Enterprise, leave this com- this comet alone. Pike explains that Mahanit's just about to collide with this planet, and it's going to kill all the inhabitants, but more importantly, it's going to kill itself. If your job is to protect Mahanit, hey, maybe you want to do something about this, because this thing's about to destroy itself. And the uh, shepherds respond... If it is his will to move, he will move. If it is his will to bring life, he will bring life. If Mahani wills the planet to die, even chooses to die with it, then that is what is. Then that is what will happen. As I said, it is preordained.
1: Yeah. So we 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 figure out at this point that they're they're not necessarily trying to keep Mahani alive by any means. They're just trying yeah. to make sure no one interferes with it, and that whatever preordained outcome it's following is allowed to occur
0: yeah clearly they kind of like revere or you know they view this this money some sort of deity perhaps so um there's a couple scenes there's some back and forth between the shepherds and pike and i and at one point like he says you know communications pause or something like that and i made note like pike is not a very good diplomat like right here like this communication he's having with these shepherds like I was not feeling it. Like, I was like, where's Picard when you need him? Because he would know how to talk to these guys. Like, Pike was clearly out of his element. He didn't know what to do in this situation.
1: Yeah, and he, you know, he, you know, it's not just a pause. He basically hangs up on them.
0: Yeah, right. And then they still
1: are willing to take his call uh, after he decides to to come back and talk to him again. So, despite the fact that these guys seem like zealots and they fired on the Enterprise and they just don't seem terribly friendly, they, they do seem pretty patient. Yeah. So, and clearly, they're they're they would prefer not to kill anybody, right? They're certainly willing to, but clearly, their preference is to solve this without violence. As long as you know, basically, as long as the enterprise does exactly what they tell them to, right. they're they're perfectly fine to let them leave and and not mess with them.
0: I think I, I can't remember if it's here or the next. But they base he basically orders a scan of this shepherd ship, and they do determine they are completely outmatched both speed and weapons. So they are no they are no challenge for the shepherds. So they got to figure out he's got to figure out a way to make this work without just blowing them up. Right. So we cut back to the surface of Mahani now, and uh, Uhura is doing her job. At this point, she's the you know she's the linguistics expert, and she is studying this egg. And she is going out of her way to not touch it because she's learned her lesson from uh, Kirk. And uh, while she's, you know, working on her iPad and studying this egg and doing her thing, she starts to hum. And uh, the lights on the cave wall actually react to her humming. So you actually see kind of like the, the, the all the lights in the room and the, the, the crevices in the wall actually respond to her humming along, you know, the, the tune. Causes the the lights to wall up, and and she actually says, um, you know, her line was music exclamation point. It responds to music, and I just wrote blah. I'm like, you know, like it's you know, show me, don't tell me. You don't. I, I literally just saw. Yeah, we, what you're, we totally get it. <laughs> you don't yeah. have to, you don't have to spoon feed it to me. Like, okay, I get it.
1: Yeah, um, and they they were definitely doing that. We we yeah. uh, we did skip one. You know, there's a couple of times where we flash back and forth between the Enterprise and the away team studying the egg. Mm-hmm. Um, There was uh, one of the the parts where we uh, flashed to the away team. There was a bit of an exchange with with Uhura and Spock about Nurse Chapel. Yeah. uh, Who. Yeah. In in the scene where they're they're preparing to go on the away mission, uh, Nurse Chapel is, you know, basically getting them ready for the environment they're going to be going down to and worrying them about, you know, not getting exposed to alien
0: stuff Right. And, uh, yeah, she's like super hitting on Spock. Yeah, she's pretty pretty, I was gonna say low-key, but it's not low-key. She's putting, she's flirting with Spock pretty good.
1: Yeah, to to the point where it's just super unprofessional. So, you're like, yeah, this character seems like, this seems like a character who's very t- like, she's she's got all this advanced knowledge about alien life and and, uh, you know, bi- bio enhancements and She's super knowledgeable and, and you know, and she's just doing that. Mike, yeah. She seems like she's a pro. I don't feel like she would do that unless you know, standards of decorum have changed a lot in the future, perhaps. But well also um,
0: I don't think it's really a secret that Spock is engaged. I mean, maybe he hasn't told everybody, but it's you know, she's putting the full cart press on this guy who's got a girlfriend back on both. Right. Maybe. And like, yeah, I mean,
1: like while they're getting ready to go down the subway mission, it's just totally an inappropriate time to be doing that. So it it seems like a weird take. We we have this character set up as being super, you know, together and uh, she's she's a pro. And then we basically see her act in a way that's very much not that. So it was a little bit of whiplash.
0: So uh, we we get the, the amazing line of music. It responds to music, and then uh, Uhura basically gives uh, Ortega and everybody else there, but mostly Ortega, basic music lessons. They talk about you know the relationship between math and music and notes and how you shift octaves to get from A to B, and so it's just you know kind of music one hundred and one. Uh, and Uhura basically figures out that the writing on the egg is essentially musical notes, and so she asks. Uh, Spock basically to harmonize with her and they hum together. Like, so Uhura leads and um, Spock, you know, follows along and after a while they, uh, the egg opens up. So the egg that clearly the the comet is responding to this music.
1: Yeah. And we, uh, you know, we find that uh, Uhura is very musically inclined
0: I thought that was a cool take on her character because, I mean, the, you know, being a linguistics expert, I mean, certainly their, you know, music is certainly a way to communicate. So that was cool. Yeah, I, and
1: it's it's you know, it's in line with with uh, the character from the original series. Nichelle um, Nichols had had quite a few scenes in the original uh, Star Trek where she was uh, singing or uh, oh really y- yeah uh, I didn't know that. and that's a big part of Uhura's character in the original show. So cool. it was a nice callback there. Uh, I also liked that, um, you know, Spock is, you know, he's able to do it, but clearly he's not.
0: Uh, oh yeah, he was completely tone deaf. Essentially, I mean, it worked. Yeah, yeah, he was not good. I, I did note that Uhura has actually an amazing voice. Like she's able to harmonize and yeah. hum, and like it was. I mean, it was pretty clear that it was. You know, Uhura was. You know, wasn't dubbed over. And yeah, so the, the the actor playing
1: has got some serious serious pipes. Yeah, and, he's, he's definitely been trained. That's not, and the actor playing know. Spock definitely does not. Right, so, right. so, brave of him to do that.
0: So uh, they basically figure out that you know this egg has musical notes on it. They are now able to essentially communicate with the the comet. So you get the impression. So at this point, the the force fields are dropped around the comet so i kind of got the impression that the the comet realized they are not a threat and decides to drop the shields so as soon as the shields drop the away team is immediately beamed up and um you actually see nurse chapel run into the transporter room and and help carry um samuel kirk to sickbay because he is having a bad day
1: yeah uh and a little bit of you know, another strange thing here is that uh you know, we've got a crew member who's basically at at death's door here. Um and we see more of Nurse Chapel, but we don't see Dr. Umbenga
0: at all. Right? He I don't even think he's in this episode. He's either. not
1: even in the episode. Yeah, which was pretty weird.
0: So, spoiler alert, he becomes a much bigger character, and he's actually a really interesting character later. But, yeah, that's a good point. He is not in this episode at all.
1: Yeah, so, I don't know, maybe there was a scheduling conflict or something, but it seems really, it seems an odd choice to not have him here at all.
0: Well, I'm okay with it. Nurse Chapel's uh, certainly better looking than he is, so. (laughs) Well, it depends on who you ask. (laughs) So, uh, we are now back on the bridge, and uh, the Shepherds have basically said, do not interfere with Mahani. Leave this thing alone. You got an away team down on this comet. We are not happy about that. Again, the implication is that they're kind of treating this like some sort of deity, and they don't want people messing around with it.
1: Yeah, and the Enterprise, you know, Pike was hoping that they wouldn't notice that they had this away team down there, and then they mentioned, you know, they basically nonchalantly mentioned, oh yeah, by the way, we've seen you know, we know exactly what you've been doing. We've seen everything that's happened here. So clearly they haven't fooled these guys for a yeah. moment.
0: Well, Ortega and, has that line where under her breath she says, oh, I guess they found the away team. It's like, right. come on, dude. Like, he just said that. You don't have to. Again, it felt like they were just spoon feeding, like, the plot. Like, Yeah. So
1: so we, we make a point here of noting that uh, the Shepherds have, you know, they have sensors that are telling them exactly what's happening here. Yeah, they're not fooled for a second. They know the away team was there. They know what's going on with the shields. They know when the away team is beamed back. So they've got you know advanced technology, and they know yeah. exactly what's going on here. Uh, we'll come back to that.
0: So they need to figure out a way to uh, you know work with the shepherds but the shepherds are not having it because they've been poking around because the enterprise has been poking around so the, the shepherds fire on the enterprise and i think actually this is the point where the, the shields go down to 40 percent. the enterprise is way outgunned here
1: yeah at this point it seems the shepherds have decided all right these guys have interfered enough yep. we're done playing nice and we're just going to destroy this ship if it doesn't stop
0: so the uh pike orders the enterprise to attack the weapon system and the propulsion system on the Shepherd ship just enough that they can get away and and not be destroyed. So they do a, a quick attack that temporarily disables the shepherds. Um so at this point they're they're going to they're going to run and and get some distance between them and um, Spock thinks that uh, Mahani was trying to communicate with them while they were on the surface of the comet. So this this musical thing that's going on, he realizes, hey, maybe this thing is essentially sentient and it was trying to talk to us. And so he says uh, he actually asks Uhura, who you know clearly that's the go-to for tr- um, translating things like this. He says, you know, what have you figured out what Mahani might have been trying to say? And she says, well, I haven't been able to translate it yet. It might take days. And in typical Star Trek fashion, Spock responds, well, we have less than one hour before the comet will impact with Persephone 3. Basically, you better figure this out or we're all dead. Right. So, um, at at this point, the, the Shepherds get their ship at least back up and running enough that they can pursue the Enterprise, so, um... Yeah, and we
1: get get a nice moment for Ortegas where she, uh, you know, Pike basically says, hey, you know, you always say you're the best pilot in Starfleet. Let's see it. And she does some nice maneuvering to get away from the ship and dodge their fire uh, and basically put uh, the Enterprise between Mahanit and the Shepherds. So at that point, they are not willing to fire on the Enterprise anymore for fear of hitting the comet.
0: Exactly. So that was a rather ingenious plan at least they're trying to give themselves a little bit more time so uh once the enterprise is in position pike orders all of the ship systems except for life support to be shut down and then he says basically hail the shepherds. so i thought that was interesting because he just said shut down all the systems except for life support but apparently comms are still on yeah, it-
1: and, yeah, and, and I guess they never say why he does that, but I guess the implication is supposed to be they're trying to keep it so the, the Shepherds can't see them. Well, I, I guess. What he
0: said, what he said, well, because he calls the Shepherds next and he says, hey, we surrender. You know, Our ship has taken a ton of damage. We're not going to survive. And he right. says, um, actually, I don't remember the technical detail, but he basically says, you know, our, our warp core or whatever is going to explode and it's going to take the comet with it with us um you need to help us and also if you shoot us it'll blow up and it'll take the comet so he's basically you know bluffing with the shepherds that they cannot take out the enterprise because it would in in essence take out their god as well right
1: okay yeah so that's okay so that's why they've they've killed all the systems is to try to trick them and make them think they got disabled okay
0: so the shepherds they kind of debate, they're trying to figure out because clearly the enterprise is not friendly. They wanna they wanna destroy them earlier. Um I mean so the shepherds decide to tractor beam the enterprise out of uh being near Mahani so Mahani will not be in, in danger. Right. So the next scene we see, and and this I didn't fully understand, so I'm hoping maybe between the two of us we can put it together. So you see Spock in a shuttle, and it's yes. just Spock. So it's Spock alone, and he's in this shuttle. Right, and and kinda... and,
1: and uh, Pike, as as part of the deal with the Shepherds to have them tractor the Enterprise away, has pr- uh, sworn to them that they will not touch Mahani again. Right.
0: So Spock is is flying this shuttle um sort of in the debris trail I suppose of this comet of Mahani. So he's like doing evasive maneuvers and going through a bunch of um you know rocks in space. Yeah, he's
1: f- flying as close to the surface of it as he possibly can.
0: And I noted actually that the CG on this of the of both the Enterprise and the shuttle flying through these, you know, this debris field this Comet trail was actually really well done. It looked really cool. So yeah,
1: we we clearly blew a chunk of our effects budget for the season on this scene. You know, so you know, there's there's going to be X number of scenes they have them, they have budget for, right. and this is one of them clearly because yeah, it looked really good.
0: It paid out. Yeah, it looked cool. It did not look fake. Or it did not look hokey. So so what what Spock says is that he is diverting power through the shields of this um, shuttlecraft and his line is that the shields are radiating heat at maximum intensity. So, I think the implication here is that he's basically turning this shuttle into like a superheated element with the intention of breaking up this ice comet. Yeah, they're the they
1: say that the comet's sublimating. So what they're they're doing is they're heating the shuttle up, flying as close to the comet as they can, so they're melting some of yeah. the ice, it's off gassing, and that off gassing is going to create enough thrust that it's sure. going to move the comet. Um, I guess that, like- that seems like it, you know, if you did that, you know, when it's, you know, a couple hundred, you know, when it's way out in yeah. orbit. That would totally work, you don't you know a little nudge when it's a couple million kilometers away is all you need, but when this thing is literally like minutes from impacting the yeah, planet, right. I really don't think that would do the trick
0: well, but thought,
1: uh again I, it's star trek it's it's magical technology it's so it's was, okay it's gonna to work.
0: how insanely hot would that shuttle have to be that you know you could be extremely you
1: know. because heat radiates and, in space Yeah, and, you know, it's going to radiate in all directions. It's, it's not going to go very far before it's not right. doing much. Just, yeah, there's a lot of problems with this plan. Uh, as well, far the Star Trek physics are in yeah. full effect for this. Yeah. Plan.
0: There's, there's very much Hollywood hand waving going on in this scene. And I don't have a problem with that. I mean, that's not, not to mention show, that right? we've,
1: we've taken time to make a point that the shepherds have, Very good scanning technology. They know exactly when the away team's on the comet, when they're not on the comet, what they're doing. They've got eyes in the sky, they see everything the Enterprise is doing, and somehow they don't notice Spock flying like a bat out of hell, radiating all this heat energy and melting like half the comet. They don't notice that, apparently. So...
0: I took, yeah, I mean, I took a little offense at this scene just because it's not really explained at all what he's doing until he's doing it. Yeah, and and, and then on top of that, it was kind of a, a hokey explanation, but, you know. Who knows?
1: Maybe the, yeah. the tractor beam that the Shepherds have takes all, 100% of the there energy of the ship. So there they is. have to turn their sensors off while they're using that tractor beam, maybe.
0: So, well, whatever Spock is doing, like you said, he's flying that superheated shuttle through at least parts of this, comet causing it to melt and and ultimately so the the comet starts to break up around the shuttle and enough of the comet actually breaks off and it does affect their trajectory uh, and it does not hit the planet so Mahani uh peaceably passes by Persephone 3 mission accomplished everything's good
1: and and as as we are flying Spock is flying the shuttle uh and the Enterprise is waiting to hear if he was successful um for you know everything seems to go 100 percent according to plan spock flies the shuttle it gets hot it breaks off part of the comet it moves the trajectory everything works exactly as they hoped and then they lose contact with spock for a few seconds right they're they're trying to raise him they get him on the comms and
0: he's laughing right
1: and and they're like a
0: creepy laugh
1: yeah and they're like what the hell and he says well sometimes when things go wrong the only thing you can do is laugh Except
0: everything went, went wrong. <laughs> right, it, exactly. it
1: worked yeah. perfectly. And I guess Spock just decided he wanted to like be a little more human. It was so uh, yeah.
0: so weird and unearned. Agreed. Uh, the only thing I can think is like somehow the original script was uh, different. Because, like I said, this scene felt like just rushed. There was not a lot of explanation. Yeah. But, um, again, you got Hollywood hand-wavy. It worked. It's all good. So... What you see next is, um, so enough of this comet actually breaks off. The ice from this comet breaks off, and it enters the atmosphere of this planet Persephone 3. And they actually make mention that so much ice and water vapor uh, has fallen on the planet that it's going to affect the um, ecology of this planet, I guess. Yeah. And I think... Bach at one point says that all this ice and water vapor may actually bring life to this planet, which is one of the things that the Shepherds said was Mahanit's job, was to spread life through the galaxy. Right. So right about this time, um, the, 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 uh, the Enterprise gets a call from the Shepherds, and you, the line is, you have seen the glory and the mercy that is Mahanit. So they are under the impression that this is just, you know, just a regular day. This is what Mahani yeah, does. this is what, what
1: Mahani doing. wanted all along. This was the plan, and, you know, it's yep. happened, you know, in spite of you. Yep. You know, in spite of your meddling, Mahani has fulfilled its destiny, and you should be more respectful of, of other cultures' beliefs
0: as you go around the Yeah, galaxy. he Yeah, doesn't he say that? He's like, maybe next time you won't be so quick to judge or something like that. Right. You know? Right, so there's a super quick scene, and it cuts to the surface of the planet, and you see some Daleb natives, and they look up, and it starts to rain. Yes, and they, you know, kind of do a little rain dance. They're very happy to to see this rain, and actually, they look way up in the sky, and you can actually see uh Mahani, you know, leaving, you know, the right. atmosphere or whatever. They they see the comet. Yeah, and I I, I made note that holy guacamole, dude, the the costume and the, the makeup on the Della, the teleps was amazing. They were, yeah, and they, I just they, thought they, they were really
1: cool looking. Yeah. We saw them at the beginning of the show. They were, yeah. you know, yeah, a lot of detail. Clearly they, they spent a lot of time designing these characters and doing the makeup and all that. So I, I assumed at the beginning of the episode that we were going to see a lot of them. Uh, but no, they're no. they're they're at the very beginning for a bit, and then we see them for a few seconds at the end to see the rain falling, and that's it. So but yeah,
0: their face makeup was really cool looking, and and I thought the costumes that they had. I mean, it wasn't just you know a, a human wearing some clothes with some blue makeup on their face, like it was. Yeah, it wasn't they the needed, humanoid of
1: the week that yeah. we typically get with you know prior Star Trek shows. So. Yeah, they've they've got some budget on this. Yeah. one, clearly. So the
0: uh, two thumbs up from me to the costuming team for Strange New Worlds because between this and the the space suits from earlier, I thought they really knocked it out of the park.
1: Yeah, and and for not a lot of screen time, and for this these aliens that yeah, really, they could have
0: they could have just slapped it together and probably no one would have said boo about it. So. Right. It could have just been all CG that you gave to the yeah. you know, college intern and it would have been fine. We're yeah, right. just,
1: you know, a little bit of face makeup and some, yeah. you know, some, you know, ratty looking clothes because they're primitive and that's it. So. Yeah.
0: So uh, all's well that ends well, essentially, the shepherds yeah, and the, are the happy. shepherds
1: they are. and And clearly they they don't they still don't seem to know that the enterprise has engineered this outcome.
0: Yeah, right. They, that somehow that did slip
1: through there. They, right. they seem to think, yeah, Mahani decided to do this. It changed course. Now, you know, you see, you should have just, you should have just left Mahani alone and everything would have been fine. Whereas we know, no, if they hadn't
0: done anything, the planet would have been destroyed. See, um, I, I think doesn't Pike kind of have that look on his face after the Shepherd's Day? Like yeah, it would kind he, of he like, kind of, oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Like
1: yeah, Mahoney did it all. Yeah, he he plays along and doesn't tip off that they they're the ones who did
0: this. So he's he's clearly convinced that this is just a pretty standard um, geological event, right? That there's no nothing untoward had happened at this point. Right. So
1: and we well, we did we saved the day and. Yep. You know that was if we hadn't been here, this this would have been a disaster.
0: So the next scene, and and this is where it gets pretty interesting, and this is where I kind of really enjoy the science fiction of Star Trek because they could have ended it right there, right? That right. could have been the end of the episode, yeah, totally. But they they went into a little bit more, and I thought this was kind of cool. So Uhura actually kind of does a, an after meeting debrief or an after mission debrief, mm-hmm. and she says that she's had some more time to process the music and the data that they found on this egg and that one of the things that they found um as part of this you know writing was that they found a star chart um that included the planet and all the planets around perceptive but basically of that galaxy and it actually had a flight plan and in the flight plan that they got from mahanit it did not include um, colliding with persephone in fact it avoided them completely and there's there's a discussion of that that and, all and of, it
1: matched matched with the flight plan yeah. that Mahoney ended up taking but and so but, the, que- but, the question this was, message was sent to them before course. they altered its course
0: correct so right. there's this whole kind of like well wait a second how did it know what was going to happen ahead of time and she goes on to say that if you zoom in on this star chart, and you will see an, an image or a specific piece of ice, and it also happened to be identical to one of the larger pieces that Spock broke off with the shuttle. Right. So the further implication here is that, that is is somehow sentient, or something's going on, and it was able to foresee... That the that the enterprise was going to get involved and it was going to alter this flight plan and that not only that but it knew so much that it knew the exact shape of piece of ice that Spock was ultimately going to to break off and Uhura says it knew its fate you might say so there's there's no real explanation of really what Mahani was but it's clearly more right. than just a rock and, and
1: that's off. Yeah, and that line, you know, it knew its fate is very loaded. We get, yes. you know, a, a reaction from both Pike and Number One when she says that, because clearly we're we're tying this into Pike, who also knows his fate. Oh,
0: I didn't even think about that. Good call. Yeah,
1: yeah. and uh, you know, and the implication here is that all of this was preordained. That, like the Shepherd said, Mahanit's path is preordained, and. It's it's all going to happen exactly as it's meant to.
0: Oh, I didn't catch it. Yeah, right. So... Um, now, the Shepherds didn't understand that,
1: you know, that means that the Enterprise being here and interfering was also preordained, and they should have just let the Enterprise do their yeah. thing. But, you know, apparently, yeah, all of this was necessary to get the outcome that we got, and Mahanit saw it all coming. Yep.
0: So there's a quick... Uh a scene where Spock and Uhura are walking in the hallway after this mission and he basically updates his um, talk with her earlier and he says you know I don't know if this changes your decision to join Starfleet I don't know what your plans are but he does mention that, um now that I've seen you on an away mission, that I do want to let you know that Starfleet would be extremely fortunate to have you if you choose, so whereas before he was like, "Hey, lady, you need to get out of the way if this is not your thing, right. to let let somebody else, but after this one mission he's he's changed his tune,
1: yeah, clearly she's impressed Spock, and then the the final and scene, and, and, and well and, you know and uh, and it's well learned she you know yeah Aurora yeah. uh, kicked ass in this episode, she was. She figured out the stuff with the music. She's really the only reason that they were able to make any headway. So.
0: And she's probably the only one that could have, right? I mean, she a great place, time. I mean, yep. she, right. so yeah, so final, she's definitely the
1: hero here in this one.
0: The The final, final, final scene is, is Pike and number one mm-hmm. in his, I keep wanting to say quarters, but cabin? In his quarters slash cabin. And uh, the, we're back to a discussion of fate. And, right. you know, and, and Pike is still trying to wrap his brain about, wrap his brain around what's going to happen to him now that he knows, you know, that he, he's going to die. So Pike has accepted his fate. He he has to save those kids. He, he acknowledges that me saving these five kids, I believe is how many it is, yeah. is more important than his own life. So right. he's willing to do that even if it means his own death.
1: Right. Which is, you know, so that's cool. But yeah, we have we have two very different takes here, because number one basically says, you know, hey, look, you know, we just saw that, you know, the future can be changed kind of thing. Uh, And, you know, we, you know, these guys got saved, the comet didn't hit them, you know, the future is what you make of it is kind of her take and and off she goes. But that's
0: not at all what happened. (laughs) Right. What happened is, the exact thing that was prophesized is exactly what happened. Just not in the way people were expecting.
1: Right, so right. despite all, you know, everything anybody did, all these actions that people took, the outcome was exactly what Mahanit predicted. And so, I think Pike's takeaway, and mine is too, is, yeah, this vision ain't getting changed. Right. Like, whatever I do is going to be what I would have done anyway yeah. that leads to this outcome. So even though I know it's coming, the outcome's still going to happen because everything I do is what's going to lead to the outcome. So, so there's nothing, I mean, I have no way of, of avoiding this. I might yeah. as well just embrace it. So yeah, let's, let's find out about these five kids. So at least I know why I'm doing this.
0: So clearly we're setting up, because this is the second episode that we've really hammered home this idea of fate and, And whatnot so clearly we're setting up a theme for at least this season if not the entire series. so so we'll see i do think that that number one has an interesting line where she basically tries to convince him that hey maybe it's a possibility that you can save the kids and yourself you have this information you know
1: she her her take is that the future is not written yet you know you you can change what's going to happen but yeah the the this episode seems to be really doubling down on now, like the vision's going to happen. Yeah. And Pike seems to think that too. Cause yeah, he's, he's not like, Oh yeah, I guess, I guess I could change it. And, you know, and moving on, he's like, Nope, I'm going to look at these five kids. Cause I know this is coming.
0: I kind of got the impression, like she's trying to convince him that, you know, at least try to do. For sure. So. Yeah. She's like, trying oh. to say,
1: Hey, you, you, you know, you're not doomed you know, you might be able to get out of this. Don't, don't just give up. But I think he's more going, yeah, I've, I'm just accepting this is what's going to happen. And I'm going to make sure I know what my path is and that these five kids get saved.
0: I get the impression like she's coming at it from like a crew member, like, look, like don't let this drag you down because we can't have a captain that's completely distracted and or obsessed with this. Like,
1: yeah, that's a part of it for sure. But I, I also think she's just trying to
0: help her friend, yeah. saying,
1: you know, hey, don't, don't feel like you're you're trapped here. Like you, there is there is a way out of this. You just you have to figure out what it is. But I think he's moved past that. Yeah, it seems like he's just decided. Yep, I I'm not going to try to avoid this. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to try to find the the path that leads me to saving these kids.
0: So the final, final, final scene basically is Pike sitting in front of his computer, and he says, "Pull up." Uh, he asks the computer to pull up um, records on essentially the five kids, and he lists off their names. And, and like you said, he starts to do some research on them. He's trying to figure out who yeah. these kids are, and you know, I, I the presumption is, are they worth saving, or you know, what am I getting myself into? Right. And then, and then it star wipes, and then we get credit. Yep. So,
1: and I have to say, I was I was pleased that we didn't try to work any. Uh, you know, any fan service or trickery into these, you know, it, one of them isn't Kirk. You know? Oh,
0: right. Yeah. Good point. So uh,
1: it was nice that it's not, you know, someone famous in Star Trek land that we're going to go like, oh man, he's going to save so-and-so, you know, it was, it's oh, just five five members of Starfleet. We don't know anything about them. We just know that Pike's going to save them in 10 years.
0: Yeah. Like if one of them was war for... Right. Exactly. Right, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That would have been a little contrived. Good point. So... So that's it. That's the end of episode two. Um, I I thought it was a great episode. I really liked it. I thought it was a lot tighter and, and the themes were a lot better than the pilot. Um, I, I really, it's about the same. You think so? Um,
1: I mean, I, I definitely liked we got some more interactions with characters that aren't Pike or Spock. That was nice. Uhura really got a chance to shine. That was great. Yep. Um so yeah, I guess I did enjoy this one more uh just because of that, that we got some time with Uhura and Ortegas. Both of them got some time to shine, which was was good to see. Um it wasn't just you know, Pike and Spock save the day again. Um but uh you know it's 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 a pretty standard Star Trek plot. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've we've seen episodes like this before. Uh but again, this whole thing's a nostalgia factory, so there's nothing wrong with Yeah. You know, that's I, I getting back on that bike again.
0: I, li- I like the twist at the end, you know, where, hey, maybe it wasn't just to come. Maybe there were, you know, so they're, they 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 leave it up in the air. I, th- I thought it was a cool episode. Like if, you know, if all the episodes had this production value and, and this, you know, level of, of story, I would be totally fine with that because I, I enjoyed this. I would give this, I will rate this, and then you can tell me if I'm crazy. Okay. I would probably give this, I really like this episode. I'm going to go nine out of ten. What, what would oh, what do wow. you wow.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I, I think I would have given given the pilot maybe like a
0: eh, Didn't I we? I would have given like the pilot or...
1: like a seven out of 10 and maybe this an eight out of 10. OK, yeah, that's fair. Maybe. All well, right. So I, I'd even eh, I don't know. I'd maybe give this a seven out of 10, maybe, maybe. And I but I don't want to the six out of 10 sounds low for the pilot. So I don't I don't know. Anyway, OK, I, I feel like there's room to to improve, but All right, it's, we'll it's solid that. Star Trek so far. For sure, yeah, we've got uh, eight more episodes. All right, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Again, they've they've uh, they've got me hooked. I, I definitely want to see where this is going, so I'll keep watching. Cool. All
0: right, that's all we got. We'll be back uh, next time.
1: Adios. All right, see you in episode three.